0: I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind, and I love my work, the opportunity to talk with remarkably enlightened people about things that really matter to all of us. And honestly, the most fun I have is when I hear from listeners I've never met, often from places I've never visited, who've been touched by our Humankind program. The grants we get from the funders you hear named on our program simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep the program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation.
1: We get to see the true greatness of human beings every single day. And you can become so pressured, so tired, so pragmatic, so uh, hurried that you walk right past and you don't see it, and you can't feed yourself from it.
0: Where a philosophical physician finds meaning even in today's harried, hurried medical system. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Medical professor and best selling author Rachel Naomi Remen has a particular approach to preventive medicine. She's trying to help young people who are studying to be doctors avoid the trap in which so many physicians seem to get caught.
1: There's an awful lot to learn and not a lot of time to do it in. People are under great pressure in the healthcare system when the students. Leave their first two years of preclinical training and they actually go out into the hospitals. They see people treat other people in ways that are a violation of everything they've been taught. Hmm. Doctors treat patients in ways, nurses treat each other, nurses treat patients. People are under enormous pressure. We have difficulty being able to express our true values, our beliefs, in our daily life.
0: Dr. Rachel Remen warns against an overly mechanical approach to medicine. She believes that when a physician is mostly a technician performing diagnosis and rapid-fire prescription, it runs a serious risk of missing the very heart of healthcare, the powerful human dimension.
1: A patient comes to see you and um, you're allowed to have 15 minutes with them. Imagine having 15 minutes um, with someone who's frightened for their life because they have a diagnosis of cancer. And how difficult that would be for anybody, but to say, to have 15 minutes to do something meaningful and human with another person, if you yourself are a person of deep compassion, you're violated. You're violated by something like that. The system doesn't allow us to live by our own excellence. And if you make that kind of a compromise, you're always always functioning below the excellence that you want to be functioning at. Something in you dies. And it's your commitment, your calling. You're being violated over and over and over again. You're being made to be less than who you are and less than you want to be.
0: Most healthcare providers enter their profession for noble reasons. They yearn to help relieve the suffering of patients. Doctors and nurses undergo rigorous training and typically work long and arduous hours in their practice. But for patients, something often gets lost in translation due to our high pressure healthcare system.
1: I think many people recently have gone to see their doctor who is sitting in front of a computer and who sits in front of the computer, talks to the computer, enters data into the computer for the entire time that they're there. It's very rare for people to even be able to sit face to face.
0: So very little eye contact between doctor and patient.
1: Very little human contact. And the fact that we make human contact anyway, to that degree, that says a great deal about who we are and how important that contact is to most of us. We're not here because of the information and the data, not even here because of the science. We're here because of the people. I mean, if no one was suffering from a disease, none of us would care a whole lot about that disease. <laughs> We're people people. And our wish to make a difference in the lives of others is such that it allows our young people to work an 80-hour week by law. It was reduced to 80 hours a week by law.
0: Is that a mistake to push young people through that kind of trial by fire?
1: I wouldn't call it a mistake. I'm not quite sure why it's a necessity.
0: Does it damage somebody?
1: oh, I think it's very, it would be very damaging to any human being. I do know that people have difficulty remembering themselves in the intensity, the pressure that they find themselves in, and especially the young people who find themselves in situations where people are dying, people are suffering, people are um, sustaining terrible losses. There's tragedy all around you. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times a medical student has said to me, you know, Rachel, I go into the ladies' room or the men's room, and I go into a stall, and I cry, and then I go back out again.
0: The recent New York Times profile of Dr. Rachel Remen cited some disturbing trends in healthcare. The majority of physicians today feel their profession is in decline and discourage their own children from entering medicine. Many find the incessant paperwork, even when filled out electronically, to be suffocating. It leads to widespread distress, depression, fatigue, and burnout. How
1: serious is it, is there a problem of people disconnecting with the why that they have come, where they don't sense that their most, their deepest values are being achieved in their daily work, that they're in a situation where the best they can do is nowhere near what they're able to do, I would imagine that that kind of a situation um, is a daily experience for most people until you begin to forget what it is that really matters to you and what it is you can really do.
0: And that may be a very good definition of cynicism.
1: Cynicism is rampant among young people, our, our young people, because they feel powerless to change the system. And the system does not allow them to fulfill their calling, to live by their values. And the values are very old. They're the values of the Hippocratic Oath. You know, medicine is a lineage about a set of values that have been passed down from student to teacher for thousands of years. Values such as harmlessness, values such as compassion, service, brotherhood, justice, this means so much to these young people that they are willing to sacrifice their youth and work 14 hours a day for years just to be able to live by these values, and then the system takes it away from them.
0: I can't help but ask if you are working in a system that compromises your integrity, why not simply opt out of that system?
1: That's the interesting thing. You don't opt out because the suffering matters.
0: Because the suffering of patients you're hoping to help matters.
1: Even if you can only do half of what you can do, it's something. Doing something that's very important to you, even half-assed, is worth doing. It's when things don't matter to you at all, you have to do them perfectly in order to get some satisfaction from them. You can't abandon the thing that has called you to your work which is the suffering of people. Total strangers, people whose names you don't even know. It's interesting, I saw something interesting on television um, in 9-11. I was one of the people who actually saw the thing happen alive. (laughs) I was on front of my television set here in California and I actually saw it, right? And then the, they, they showed pictures of people running through the streets. Remember pictures of people covered with dust running through the streets? And the great majority of people were running away from the buildings. About 10% of the people were running towards the buildings. Right? Some of those were people in uniform. This was their job. They first responders. First responders. But so, many of them were not people in uniform, they were just people who were running towards the buildings because maybe there was something they could do. This is why the world continues, because there are people who run towards the pain of total strangers. It's what it's going to take to sustain the world. Not science, not technology, but people who are able to care about the humanity of others. And that's what we got in medical school. These young people are the hope of the world as far as I'm concerned.
0: Rachel Remen is Clinical Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. She's best-selling author of Kitchen Table Wisdom, co-founder of the Common Wheel Cancer Health Program. In 1992, she developed a popular course called The Healer's Art, which is now taught in about half of American medical schools.
1: The Healer's Art is about what you call the effective domain. Uh, the thing that enables you to continue your commitment to work, uh, meaningful work, um, despite obstacles. Uh, your values, your emotional commitment, your calling, all the things that enable us to persevere. All the things that give meaning to our lives. And then, besides being a job and being a career, um, work is also a calling. Uh, And a calling is different. It's unique to every person. It's about living a life by the values that matter to you. A life that has meaning that to you personally is enormously important. And the interesting research on this kind of stuff is that when you see your work as a calling, you can persevere past all obstacles.
0: Because that strengthens and empowers you. It
1: empowers you. And then the interesting thing to look at is that all work is sometimes a job, sometimes a career, sometimes a calling. You can move back and forth among these things several times during an, a work day. But if your work is less than 50% of calling, you can't sustain yourself in the parts of your work that are a job, in the parts of your work that are a career. And when a, a, a work becomes 90% job and career, then people burn out.
0: A lot of Dr. Remen's efforts to revitalize the practice of medicine have been focused on first-year medical students. It's a population that she believes has not been jaded by the professional stresses and institutional constraints they will eventually face.
1: They come on fire with the spirit of service. They know what medicine is about. They know they belong there. Right? We're, we're, we're doing something preventative We're trying to keep them from losing this. We're not teaching them anything. We're just teaching them how to hold on to what they brought with them into the
0: school. And the way of holding on to what you brought with you is not to lose sight of it?
1: The way to hold on to something is to be able to recognize it. In other words, to learn to recognize the meaning in an ordinary event um, to be surprised, to let your heart be touched by things that you might not notice ordinarily. For example, in energy. an
0: interaction between a doctor and a patient?
1: Or patients with each other, or patients with their children, or just oh, uh, an elderly woman talking to you about her, what's important to her. I mean, being able to see that we, there's a deep river of meaning that runs through the work of medicine. People are in dark places, they're in times of loss and fear, and often in these situations human greatness becomes apparent for the first time. The depth of love, the courage of very elderly people, uh, all sorts of things that you see, That it, there's so much awe in medicine. And the all, it's a front row seat on life. A, a seat that most of us would never get to occupy if we weren't physicians. And we get to see the true greatness of human beings every single day. And you can become so pressured, so tired, so pragmatic, so uh, hurried that you walk right past and you don't see it and you can't feed yourself from it.
0: We're talking with physician Rachel Naomi Remen, a medical reformer on the faculty of the University of California, San Francisco, and author of bestsellers, including My Grandfather's Blessing. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Medicine's River of Meaning, and to obtain an audio download or CD, please visit humanmedia.org. Rachel Remen believes that a patient's ability to heal from illness cannot be fully explained by a doctor's care or by drugs. In spite of the best efforts of scientists, an element of mystery pervades the realms of health and illness. She comes to this awareness partly from her own experience as a patient who early in life was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, an inflammatory bowel condition that led to 9 major surgeries. She believes people have the power to grow beyond their challenges.
1: Medicine is a cosmology. It's a way of seeing the world. And the way you're taught to see the world as a doctor is that the world is broken. And you are here. You are here to fix the world with your knowledge and technology and science and all of this. But I don't believe the world is broken. The world is hidden. There's a hidden wholeness in everybody and a question such as what do you call upon for your strength is an invitation to that wholeness to be at the table with you.
0: What do you call upon for your strength, Rachel?
1: Love. And a sense of gratitude uh, for being alive. You know, I have a long, about 60 year history of chronic illness, very severe chronic illness sense of they, They'd have
0: buried you long since.
1: Many times. <laughs> um, You've defied
0: many a prognosis.
1: I think a prognosis is only an opinion. Uh, I think it says as much about the person who utters it as the person about whom it is uttered. I also call upon meaning, I think, for strength, commitment. I think when I had gotten into medicine. I was a philosophy major. I was not a scientist. Um,
0: Is that unusual for a philosophy major to become a physician?
1: More than unusual. I almost didn't make it. I mean, they almost didn't let me in because I had an irrelevant major such things as ethics and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all those things that don't matter in healthcare, right?
0: You've advocated that healthcare providers bring more of themselves to their relationship with patients.
1: I validate the possibility of bringing your heart to your work. Because, you know, the heart is not a valentine, it's not soft. Um, it's a way of seeing. The heart is a way of seeing, it's a perspective that allows you to see the meaning below the surfaces of things.
0: So, what does that look like in an interaction between a doctor and a patient?
1: It looks like the difference between talking to a victim and talking to a hero. Recognizing the wholeness of the person who you're talking to, what they have done in order to to live, what keeps them going, what matters to them, uh, what in them is unique and human and awesome. It's in everybody. Some of the greatest heroes of the world are people who are just ordinary people, who see themselves as ordinary people. This business of seeing life as broken instead of recognizing the hidden wholeness in everyone makes all the difference in the world. There's an arrogance in seeing life as broken, an arrogance in thinking my science is going to fix everything.
0: That I will repair the broken world.
1: Or even that it needs repair. Often what we're calling brokenness is the growing edge of things. It's the place where growth and transformation is going to happen, especially if you make room for it. speak as a patient now, I've been a patient for 60 years, it helps not to be alone with some of the things that happen to you as you're working with illness. Um, sometimes things happen that are very frightening. Uh, they're very much beyond the pale, like I have this metallic taste in my mouth all the time, or suddenly my vision goes blank, and you know, all of this. Um, often these things take a while to be diagnosed, if they're diagnosed at all. And in my experience, um, in many cases, for me, I've had symptoms for months before something was revealed that was causing them that somebody could do something about. And when I knew that I could talk to my doctor about them, and he didn't tell me it was all in my head, he simply said, we don't know, we're going to, we're going to sit with this together until it, it becomes apparent what's going on, going on, and when something becomes apparent, if there's something to be done, we're going to do it. You're not in it alone. And being alone, which is often the experience of illness, by the way, weakens us. I think it weakens the, the will to live in us. It weakens our ability to tolerate... Um, some of the things that we have to tolerate as um, sick people. One of the things that I think that I bring to people, and I think a lot of doctors do, is I'm not afraid.
0: You're not afraid of?
1: Of many of the things that other people are afraid of. I've had many experiences. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of, of blood. I'm not afraid of pain. I'm not afraid of any of this. And when you take fear out of the middle of the equation, often people find that they can manage, not only manage, but they can thrive. And I think I bring a certain fearlessness into it. My first reaction to things is not fear. And I don't run away.
0: So can doctors use that? I
1: think it's very helpful in a situation of the unknown to be with somebody who is not afraid of the unknown, someone who is willing to wait until the unknown shows itself and then do whatever is needed.
0: Rachel Remen's 15-hour course on the healer's art has been taught in seven countries and informed the training of well over 10,000 physicians. It's intended to fill a gap, to supplement extensive coursework on the physical mechanisms of the human body.
1: There's an exercise we do in the healer's art, which I think is very, very powerful. It's, we call it rewriting a Hippocratic Oath. And, you know, the first act of any physician, um, at the moment after you are the degree is conferred on people, the next thing you do is you, you swear your commitment to your patients. And this is true of every graduation. And many they use many different oaths, many of them very old. But I've always felt that the words that matter are the words that are unique to each human being. That commitment in their own words is the words that matter. So I help the young people find that, put words on this. And we all write a Hippocratic Oath. We all write, and it's a very simple thing that we do. Uh, we write our, out our, our own dream of service. And I, I do a little imagery where I said, if you can practice medicine your own way, if your medicine didn't tell you how to live, what to wear, what language to use, what to read, it was simply a way for you to express your highest values in this world, what would it look like, right? And then they, they reflect on that. And then I say, well, now ask for help in bringing that dream of service closer to your everyday life, write five sentences in the language of help. Help me, give me, may I be, enable me to, strengthen me to, anything like this. And the first time that we did this, a young woman stood up and she looked at her classmates and she says, my God, she said, I had no idea that's who you people were. (laughs) She says, I thought I was here alone. And that is the ultimate commentary on medical school and on the training. I thought I was here alone. I thought I was the only one. So just to give you a sense of this, um, one of my favorites was written by a man who was a football player before he came to medical school. So he's a great big hunk of a guy, right? And while everybody else is writing, he's not writing. He's got his chair tilted up, you know, on two legs, and he's leaning against the wall with his eyes closed. So I figure he's going over the um, the insertions of the cranial nerves in his head or something <laughs> like this, you know. But when people start reading, he sort of opens his eyes, and he sits up, and he says... Um, I'd like to say out loud what I wrote in my head to my future patients and he says, I want to be a surgeon and uh, this is, this is what I, I wanted to dedicate this to them, right? And he says, May you find in me the mother of the world. May my heart be a mother's heart, my hands be a mother's hands. May my response to your suffering be a mother's response to your suffering. May I sit with you in the dark as a mother sits in the dark. May you know through our relationship that there is something in this world that can be trusted. That's what these young people write. They write things just like that. Uh, Here's another one. Lord, grant me the power to heal. Make me your instrument. Allow yourself to flow through me as I work in your service. As you made the first healer and as you shall make the last, link me in your chain. Here's another one. Do not ask me what is wrong, for I may not know. Do not ask me why this happened for I may not know. Do not ask me what to do, for I may not know. But ask me if I will try to understand how it is for you, if I will think of you first, if I will stay with you, and I may be able at last to lift my eyes to meet yours and say, yes, 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 I will.
0: Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and author of Kitchen Table Wisdom. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose, associate producer Mark Kilstein. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions, program development provided by Shart Media.
1: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment, Medicine's River of Meaning, with Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, is Humankind Program number 210. The executive producer
1: is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit
0: humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.